Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. The title of our message today is The Things Which Will Take Place After This. Turn your Bibles to Revelations chapter 4. The first three chapters of Revelations describes the church age, from the time of the apostles until the rapture. Beginning with this chapter, the subject is things which must take place after this. From this point on, the church is never mentioned as being on earth. What then happened to it? We believe it was taken to heaven by the Lord at the end of chapter 3, if you read it. Once the saints have been translated to heaven, the Lord will resume his dealings with the nation of Israel. Then will the tribulation period begin. This is a seven-year period in which the Lord deals with the Jewish people concerning their rejection of the Messiah. Those who turn to Christ during the tribulation will be saved to enter the glorious kingdom on earth whereas those who refuse him will be destroyed. Large numbers of Jews will return to the land of Israel in unbelief at the outset of the tribulation. Let's look at Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 24 to 25, New International Version. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. The Roman world power will make a treaty with the Israelis, guaranteeing them freedom of worship. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, New International Version. We will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, we will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. In fact, the first three and a half years of the tribulation will be relatively mild. The Lord Jesus describes these years in Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 to 14. New International Version, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to the persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. At the middle of the tribulation, an adulterous image will be set up in the temple at Jerusalem, and men will be ordered to worship it or be killed. 
It says that in Matthew chapter 24, 15. Let's read it. New International Version. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. This will signal the beginning of the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble and a period of suffering such as the world has never known or will ever know. Matthew chapter 24, 21. For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Chapter 4 introduces us to the beginning of the tribulation. The first scene is in heaven, where John is given a vision of the glory of God. The Lord frequently gave a vision of glory to his prophets before permitting them to foretell the future. Let's look at Isaiah uh, 6, that's the New International Version. In the year that... King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the door, post, and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, but ever seeing, but never deceiving. Make the heart of these people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. In chapter 1, John saw Christ's glory before he was permitted to record the future history of the church. Now he is given a vision of God before he learns the judgment which will be poured out on unbelieving Israel and the unbelieving Gentiles. The vision of God's throne. Now let's look at chapter 4 verses 1. The voice that invites John to heaven is the voice of Christ. Let's now look at verses 1 and 2. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and therefore before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Many Bible students believe that John's entrance into heaven is a picture of the church being taken home to be with the Lord at this time. Let's look at Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 8. 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 to 53. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, 18 from the New International Version. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that you are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Lord Jesus promises to show John things which must take place after this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 53, New International Version. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there was the appearance of jasper and ruby. The Holy Spirit takes possession of John in a special way, and he is immediately seeing the eternal God sitting upon his throne in majesty and splendor. And a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Some, following the majority of manuscripts, omit the words, and he who sat there was, making the jasper and the sardius descriptive of the throne rather than of the Lord. However, these precious stones may also describe the Lord himself. In the high priest's breastplate, the jasper represents Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sardius represents Benjamin, his lastborn. The name Reuben means, Behold a son, and Benjamin means, Son of my right hand. The two stones, as including all other stones, depicting all of God's people and the person on the throne as God, in relation to the people of Israel. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. We cannot say with certainty who the 24 elders are. They are variously understood as angelic beings, as a redeemed people of both the Old Testament and the New Testament and as New Testament saints only. The fact that they are crowned and enthroned suggests that they are saints who have been judged and rewarded. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling of pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. It is clear that the throne here is one of judgment, with its terrifying lightning, thunder, and voices. The seven lamps of fire represent the Holy Spirit in His fullness and majesty. There is only one Holy Spirit of God, 
But the seven represents perfection and completeness. Let's look at Revelations 4, 6. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The sea of glass like crystal tells us that the throne is located in a place that is undisturbed by the restless. Wild tossing of this world or by the opposition of the wicked who are like a troubled sea. At the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and the back. This speaks of clarity, breadth, and depth of vision. Let's look at Revelations 4, 7, 8. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man and the fourth like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The four living creatures are difficult to identify. All we can say for certain is that they were created beings because they worship God. They seem to be a combination of the cherubim in Ezekiel 10 and the seraphim in Isaiah 6. Let's revisit that in Ezekiel 10. I looked and I saw the likeness of the throne of Lepus Lazuli above the vault that was over the heads of cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in and a cloud filled the inner courts. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple. And the court was full of radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings and the cherubim could be heard from far away as the outer courts, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. When the Lord commanded the man in linen, Take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, the man went in and stood beside the wheel. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand and the fire and was among them. He took out some of it and put it in the hands of the man in linen who took it and went out under the wings of the cherubim could be seen would look like human hands i looked and i saw besides the cherubim four wheels one besides each on the cherubim the wheels sparkled like topaz and as for the appearance the four of them looked like each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel as they moved they would go in any one of the four directions, and the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in whatever direction his head faced without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, and their wings, were completely full of eyes, as were the four wheels. I heard the wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One face was one of a cherubim, the second face of a human being, the third face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Kebar River. When the cherubim moved, the will moved besides moved. When the cherubim spread their wings to raise from the ground, the wills did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. And when the cherubim rose, they rose with them, because the spirit of the living creature was in them. 
Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground as they went. The wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was above them. These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kebar River, and I realized that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, four wings, and under their wings was what looked like human hands. Their faces had the same appearance of those I had seen by the Kebar River. Each one went straight ahead. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that Isaiah king died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their face, and two that covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Verse 7 describes cherubim, and verse 8 pictures seraphim. These angelic beings are guardians of the throne of God. The cherubim seem to be associated with burning judgment, and the seraphim with burning purification. The description in verse 7 parallels the way Christ is presented in the Gospels. Let's look at that. Lion. So that's Matthew, and he's the king. The calf or the ox in Mark, he's a servant. The man in Luke, he's the son of man. The eagle in John, the son of God. The living creatures sing seasonally of the holiness and the eternity of God. Most manuscripts actually have the word holy nine times here. A strong Trinitarian touch. Let's look at Revelations chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tastes as sweet as honey in my mouth, but I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Whenever the living creatures worship the eternal one on the throne, the 24 elders prostrate themselves, worship the eternal God, and cast their crowns before the throne. Their worship acknowledged the Lord as worthy of glory and honor and power because he created all things, and by his will they exist. The vision prepares us for what is to follow. God is seen as the almighty ruler of the universe sitting on the throne of his glory, surrounded by worshiping creatures and about to send judgment on the earth. I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that He came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live. That He died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that His Word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. 
The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in him. That demonstration of faith pleases God because we have freely chosen to know him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 So the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because He knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His Son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, Pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now you prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10.9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount 
so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless, and remember, Jesus is the Voice of Truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.